The gospel for this All Saints Day Sunday comes from Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If I asked you right now for your, your first impression or your sort of general understanding of the book of Revelation, what would you say? You can say it out loud. You can, it doesn't. Weird. Oh, good. I'm glad somebody said that because that was one of my... Nightmare-inducing. That is bold. Yeah, I like that. Huh? <laughs> Good. I think we're all on the same page then. So words I thought might come up, some of which did. Strange, unsettling, mysterious, weird, violent, scary, beautiful, or maybe even unfamiliar. There might in your head be some combination of more than one of those, or quite possibly you are thinking to yourself, I don't know, I've never actually read the whole thing. If that's the case, I'm sure you're not alone. We read this morning from the book of Revelation, which is not a thing we do very often in the Lutheran tradition. I don't know if that's on purpose. I don't know that it's an intentional exclusion, but it seems like when the people who created the, the three-year cycle of readings that we use to, to decide what we read on Sundays, when they looked at the whole Bible and they thought, how do we fit as much of this as possible into about 150 Sundays, they apparently decided that other books needed to come first. In the course of those three years, we read about 10% of the book of Revelation, which is to say, not very much. Now, Martin Luther might have been fine with that. He did not have much time for the book of Revelation. He did not like it, and he was very open about that. He softened a bit toward it in his later years, but he still felt that it was one of the two books of the Bible he would personally rather cut out. The other one is the letter to James in the New Testament. Luther, who was never a person to mince words, it's a very good thing he did not have access to Twitter, he wrote that Revelation just didn't talk much about Jesus, and he felt that it wasn't very clear in what it was trying to say. And he just thought other books of the Bible were better, to be perfectly honest. 
he probably would have thought that reading 10% of it over three years is kind of generous. Luther certainly would have been baffled by the 20th century American version of Revelation, which many of us encountered in the fictional Left Behind series that was popular 20-ish years ago. Now, those books were not based directly on Revelation, actually very little, but on a particular biblical interpretation system that was developed by a British writer in the 1800s, a man named John Nelson Darby. Darby took short verses from all over the Bible and felt that if you put them together in the right way, they showed a sort of secret code or a map that told us how the world would end and what would happen to us all when it did. That eventually, over time, developed into the idea that faithful followers of Jesus would be raptured up into heaven and everyone else would be left behind to survive a post-apocalyptic, literally, world. There are more problems with that reading of the Bible than we have time for this morning. So we'll come back to that another time. But at the very least, one of its saddest consequences is that it plain scared off a lot of us from anything to do with the book of Revelation. If your only exposure or your primary exposure to this book is a series of fictional novels about strange conspiracy theories and violent warfare and, frankly, a lot of pretty anti-Semitic imagery. And in the end, you are, you are left thinking, I'm probably one of the people who is going to be left behind. It's no wonder that many of us have some skepticism about Revelation. And that's a shame. Because the gift that this book offers us is one we could really use right about now. Revelation is a vision of hope. It's a proclamation that things as they are are not how they will always be. It is a glorious, illogical, fantastic, colorful dream in which we learn that God is and always has been and always will be at the center, even when everything is coming apart at the seams. As one writer says, it is the ultimate declaration of a big, hope-filled idea, namely, that dominant powers, the things in charge right now, are not ultimate powers. Empires fall. Tyrants fade. Systems die. God is still around. You know as well as I do, some of you even more so, that things as they are, things are not entirely well. I want to pause here for a short period of time, and I just want to offer us a few seconds in which I invite you to name out loud what you see is not well in the world, in you, in your family, in your neighborhood, 
you can say it out loud. You don't have to tell the story. Just let's just take a few seconds to name things that we know right now are not well. This is another thing we don't really have enough time for, is it? We could be here all day. We could name our hurts and our losses, our anxieties and our fears. We could name places that are close to home and places we've never been, people we know as well as we know our own hearts, and people we will never meet. Poet Warsan Shire, in a work that she wrote called What They Did Yesterday Afternoon, her poem, the poem ends like this. She says, I've been praying, and these are what my prayers look like. Dear God, I come from two countries. One is thirsty. The other is on fire. Both need water. Later that night, I held an atlas in my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world, and whispered, where does it hurt? It answered, Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. So how do we hope in these days? Where are our visions of hope? That's an old question. It's not only an old question, but it's been around a long time. It's older than the scrolls of the Bible. There's always been pain and suffering and loss and grief. There's always been war and injustice and cruelty and hunger. But just the fact that it's always been like this for someone somewhere does not make it any less painful now. That there has always been war does not mend the hearts of Israeli families yearning for their loved ones to return or Palestinian families whose children are dead. That there has always been hunger does not fill the bellies of our neighbors who stand at intersections and live at freeways just trying to make it through the day. That there has always been loss does not comfort the parents whose child is sick or dying or the daughter whose mother no longer knows who she is. Where does it hurt? Everywhere. And that is something that Revelation knows. It's also something that Jesus knows. Because he makes quite a list today of things that hurt. Being poor in spirit. Grieving. Being meek. Hungering and thirsting for justice that never seems to arrive. Trying to build peace that lasts for about a minute if you're lucky. Being persecuted or hated for who you are. Those things hurt. But then Jesus says something that works an awful lot like Revelation does. He proclaims that those things, as hard and painful as they are, are also not the end of the story. That there is more to it than what we can see. Blessed are you, he says, who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who work for peace. And while there is still some disagreement about 
there's a lot of disagreement about what Jesus meant when he used the word blessed. It's a complicated word. One possibility is that you could translate that word as honored. Honored are those who are poor in spirit. Honored are those who mourn. Honored are those who work for justice and peace. Honored are those who hunger and thirst not for wealth and power, but for what is right and good. Honor those whom everybody else hates. That is, of course, not how the world works. If you've ever been poor in spirit, if you've ever been grieving, if you've ever engaged in the often tedious and thankless work of building peace, you probably didn't stop for a coffee break and say to yourself, man, I really feel honored today. So many of those experiences hurt. They hurt everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Jesus never denies that. He never says they don't hurt. He doesn't tell us to stop grieving and move on already. Pick yourself up. Stop being so meek. He looks at what is and he honors it, literally, and simply reminds us that what is now is not all there is. That right here in the center of everything that hurts, all the ways we fall apart every day, right at the center of that is God. Right there is hope. Not out there, not dangling like a great prize that we might win if we could run fast enough or survive long enough or get smart enough. But right here, in it, in the hurt, in the loss, in the war, in the peace, in the tears and the laughter. Dominant powers are not ultimate powers. God is still around. All Saints Sunday may be the most beautiful Christian expression we have of this deep, persistent hope. Of saying that the people we have lost are never truly gone from us saying that we all drink from wells we did not dig, and we pray that the work we do in this life will benefit people we'll never know, that Jesus is our hope, especially when we cannot find hope on our own, that there is a vision, a vision that can be trusted, of a world where all tribes and languages and every nation is at peace and where the people who have been pushed to the bottom for generations are finally honored among us. Lawyer and author and speaker Brian Stevenson, whose book Just Mercy we read here at Holy Spirit for Lent about nine years ago, he says that hope is our superpower. To put it in biblical terms, since we are in a church after all, we might say that hope is our spiritual gift, our shared human spiritual gift. Hope, he says, is the thing that gets you to stand up when everyone else tells you to sit down, the thing that gets you to speak up when everyone says to be quiet. In an interview with some years ago, he was asked about his, his hope, why he talks so much about it, about the power of love. 
which is not a thing he said that most lawyers are asked to talk about all that often. And he said this, he said, my great-great-grandfather was enslaved in Caroline County, Virginia, and he learned to read while he was enslaved. And I never really thought about that until later. But then I started thinking about the kind of hope, the kind of vision it took to believe that one day you're going to be free and you're going to need to know how to read. Even when nothing around you indicates that freedom is remotely possible for an enslaved black man in Virginia in 1850. Why even try? Why do something that others would say makes no sense? Why, if not hope? Hope is not optimism. It's not shrugging our shoulders and saying, well, I mean, things will probably work out. It is a radical, generous, sometimes seemingly foolish proclamation. It is a glorious, illogical, fantastic, colorful dream in which God is and always has been at the center, even when everything is coming apart at the edges. It's the gift of Revelation and the Sermon on the Mount and the communion table and the saints and the church everlasting. It is your gift. It belongs to you and to me. And if you find that you can't carry it yourself, then we are here to hold it for you until you're able to pick it back up again. Blessed are you. Blessed are we, the people who dare to hope. Amen.